0: Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. I want to jump into Hebrews 10:39, so turn there for me as we kick off. What is one of our one of our last two messages in the series. We'll kind of wrap it up next Next week, we'll kind of bring this so close. It's been a great time. I've loved digging into Hebrews 11 uh, during this time. Every time you're in it, it's something new as the word is because it's alive. And so um, this kind of opened my eyes to a lot of things, looking at faith from a different lens, if you will, instead of what typically seems like this. Thing that you don't have enough, and you—if you would have had enough, and we're trying to like you can create or generate. To really, the responsibility is you pulling closer in a relationship. You're getting closer to a relationship. You're getting closer to God, being fully persuaded on who He is, instead of getting closer to a result. I think we want to move towards a result instead of moving towards a relationship, and I kind of feel that's kind of what the vibe is of this series. And it's a great one for me too, just understanding the times that we live in it can be challenging, and it's easy to kind of slip into this. Performance mode instead of this relationship mode. And so that really is the essence of our faith. The foundation of our faith is as really being fully persuaded on God is who he is, who he says he is, and he does the things he says he will do. So the writer in Hebrews is telling first century Christians that have made a decision for Jesus, and they're being not only persecuted by Rome, the occupying force, they're being persecuted by uh religious people, the religious crowd, and because they've, they've, they've gotten away from the, the law. They've gotten away from the rules and the, and the works, and they've gotten into the relationship component. And so they're just being persecuted at all sides. So the writer of Hebrews is encouraging them in their relationship because they, have a, they want to maybe go back. If I go back to the old way, if I go back to works again, trying to do it my own strength, maybe I won't, I won't have this persecution. Maybe I won't feel this pressure and so the writer's trying to encourage him. In fact, here's what he says in uh, Hebrews 10, 39. He says this, but we're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. When times get tough, we don't move backwards, we move forward. But of those who have faith, being fully persuaded, and we preserve and, the, and preserve their souls, being fully persuaded and preserve their souls. I, I, I love that, that picture because, you know, that's you and I today. I mean, no matter what you're facing personally, no matter what you're facing as a family, as a church, as a, as a community, as a nation, we continue to move forward because we believe God is who he says he is, he does what he says he'll do. So we've been in Hebrews 11, so flip over one more chapter, look at verse 32 for me. We've studied Moses, we've studied Abraham, we've looked briefly at Enoch, we've looked at Abel, we've uh, looked at a few others last week, we looked at Rahab, what a great uh, story of faith that was. How far will God go to persuade you? He, he'll go as far as it takes. And this morning, we're going to look at uh, a, a person listed in this uh, list right here. Let me read it for you, Hebrews 11:32. And what more shall I say for time would fail for me? There's not enough, he's telling the right, there's not enough time. I, there's not enough time in my life or not enough paper to write all the stories of faith that we could about the heroes from their past. But he says, there's not enough time to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, and probably most of us don't even know who Jephthah is, of David and Samuel and the prophets. And it's interesting to me that probably one of the greatest heroes of the Bible is just thrown into a list. David. I mean you saw David right there, right? It's like I me mean, acts like King David, right? Is that that's who you're talking about? A King David? Like like David and Goliath? David? Surely the writer in Hebrews would have a story just focused on when David fought Goliath and he got five stones and he slung it and how God guided it to the forehead of the Philistine and dropped them and all this stuff. But I really don't think that's necessarily why David's in this list. I mean I think that is a great faith story for sure. I mean, when David defeated Goliath, just this young teenager and, and, and not wanting to listen any longer to the taunting of a, of a Philistine and ungodly person. And so on behalf of his God, he confronted him with only a slingshot. We know the story. We remember the flannel graph, right? Remember the flannel graph. We know the story. And all of a sudden here, this young teenage kid drops this giant warrior has to be faith. absolutely has to be. Maybe that is what the writer's talking about. Well, he might be talking about David who who defeated the Philistines time and time again, who expanded the territory of Israel greater than any other king and who brought more wealth than any other king. And maybe he's talking about all those things, and he certainly could be. I, I think there's something else, though. I think there's something else here in the life of David that I think that we probably can... Relate to more. I I know the David and Goliath thing. I don't know if you can relate to that. It's kind of maybe hard. I know that's used all the time. Whether you go to church or not, then you always hear about David and Goliath, right? It's always like when the little guy is against the big guy, right? It's a small school facing the big school, and you hear all these David and Goliath analogies. And how is that ever going to happen? It's David fighting Goliath. And so, whether you've grown up in church, spent any time there or not, we probably know the David and Goliath analogy. But I, I think there's something more the writer of Hebrews wants to convey to the first century Christians, because, let's be honest with you, I mean, there's so many stories to choose from, and we could choose all these victory stories, victory stories, but, but David has, has something he's known by in his life that I think really speaks to the people that day and speaks to you and I today, and I want to look at David's life in regards to faith, and so let's take a look at Acts 13, Acts 13, verse 16, let's start there, and let's take a look at David's life as the Apostle Paul is talking about it, and he says this in Acts 13, 16, He says, so Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm he led them out. And for about forty years he put up with them in the wilderness. I like that. He put up with them in the wilderness, right? You feel like God's put You ever feel like God's putting up with you? You know, raise your hand on that one. Don't raise your hand. And after destroying seven nations, after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. Can I just tell you that God is very patient? God's a patient God. Don't try and get ahead of him. Just, you know, wait on him. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel, the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up. Now listen to this. God raised up David to be their king of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, A man after my own heart who will do all my will. A man after my own heart. God raised up David who was a man after God's heart to do his will. I honestly think that that is probably the most powerful statement made about David, but probably maybe even the most misunderstood. Yes, he defeated Goliath, but let's talk about today about being that man after God's own heart and what that looks like because I think it is a misunderstood phrase. This is David's most famous title. A man after God's heart. And that sounds pretty special. It sounds pretty special. Uh, but and it has, it, to me, it's become this kind of standard. I don't know, but I, I've been in church my whole life, and, and to me, as I evaluate and look at stuff, it's like this standard, right? I mean, I want to be a man after God's own heart, right? If you have a prayer meeting, somebody's going to pray, and God. Make us men and women after your heart. Make this church a church after your heart, right? We're going to do second service. We're going to do child dedication. And in there, you know, I may pray it. I don't know if I will or not. But everybody wants the pastor to pray over their child. Pray that, that this is going to be a, a boy or a girl after God's own heart. And, and we all want that as a parent, right? And, and every wedding I, I, I do, I think about this phrase and statement of people like, I want to marry a woman after God's own heart. I want to marry a man after God's own heart. It's almost as if we've raised this to some kind of elite status that be David. A man after God's own heart. And then I'll preach. We need a church of David's. Men after God's own heart. A men's breakfast. We need a, a church of David's. We need a church of people after God's own heart. And it's almost like there's this phrase that has become the standard that honestly nobody can live up to. That's just the truth of it. I mean, I love God, but I, I, I'd like to be known as that guy. I, I don't know. My life reflects it. And I, and I don't think it's really as the writer intended. I, I think maybe we've missed what it really is all about. What does it mean? What, is it, what does that have to do with faith? What does any of that have to do with faith? Have you ever felt like that, that you're not good enough? Because if that's the standard, then I don't know if I ever measure up to a David. I don't know if I measure up to, am I a man after God's own heart? I, th- I think I'm after my own stuff quite a bit, just to be quite honest with you. I don't know about you. I'll talk about me because I don't know you. And I, I, don't, I don't know that that's really fair for us to kind of keep throwing that out there without some more context and looking at David's life. Because if we're honest, then then none of us really feels like we ever measure up. And have you ever felt like you've never measured up? Uh, For me, it's like, Eric's like, yeah, (laughs) all the time, every day. That's me. (laughs) Thank you for your honesty, Eric. And it's, it's like this thing, if we feel that way that we don't measure up, at some point in time, we'll cover it up. Or we'll just have this attitude, I don't really care. And that's wrong. That's the wrong place. When we come with this thing of creating intentionally or unintentionally. We create this elite status Christian that men and women after God's own heart. And the rest of us think that I'll never be that guy. I'll never be that, that person. And I don't think that's ever what was intended. And so I'm thinking about my life. And there's so many things I don't feel like I measure up. I feel like I'm inadequate at a lot of things. And this perhaps being one of them at times. But uh, I, I'm the guy that feels like inadequate. I, I never can measure up to doing stuff like the do-it-yourself stuff, like the handyman stuff, Right? I'm surrounded by guys that can fix anything, do anything, and I feel so inadequate, insecure around them because I can't do any of that stuff. Now, my, my thing is to celebrate, right? but I have many other gifts, right? Like, I got many, you know, so someone gives me a hard time. I'm like, I'll put you up there on Sunday morning if you keep up of that. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. All yeah. right. And so just, so uh, in my house, I, I feel so inadequate, those things at my house. If you were to ask for a tool, like, hey, pastor, you got a toolbox, you would go find my wife's toolbox. I mean, that's what you would find, right? It's, it's, it's outlined in pink and I was going to bring it up here today, but it would take too much time. And, and so um, there was something going on with our washing machine and my wife was out of town at her um, aunt's in Denver, and I thought, I'm going to fix that before before she comes back. Now, having said that, I thought back to a while, a few months ago, where we had a a problem with this electronic thing in, in the house, and I thought, man, that can't be that hard. It was just changing out the batteries and resetting it, and so I Googled it, and I'm looking at YouTube videos, and by the time I was done, we had to call someone to come take care of that, right? It was just changing the batteries out and resetting it. So I'm looking at the washing machine. It has an air code message on there. I get the manual out. I'm looking it up and I see it and I'm this and oh, that can't be that hard. I mean, the two hoses come out from the back of the wall. You just unplug it. You turn the water off. There's little filters on the ends of the hoses that come into the washing machine. I don't even know the parts. I mean, some of you guys are probably right there with me. And, um, and so I'm thinking I can pull that out. I just kind of pull that out, turn the water off, unplug it, pull those things out and clean those little filters How hard can that be? And so I go find the pink toolkit, right? And I, and I get the pliers with the pink handle on it. And um, I'm back there and I have it pushed back from the wall and, and I can't walk around it the way the laundry room is. So I'm on one side of it. And so my youngest daughter comes in and says, Hey dad, what are you doing? I said, I think I'm going to change these filters on this thing. That's why the washing machine's not working. And she goes, really? And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, well, let me help you with that. Basically it's like, don't dad, you're going to screw it up. Let me, let me do this. And and so we reach back there, we unplug it. We, we, we get the water turned off and we, we think we're turning handles and righty-tighty, lefty-loosey and it's upside down, I don't really know. And, and so uh, she goes, well, get me the pliers, right? And then I felt like the assistant, right? She just took over and so I hand her the pink-handled pliers and she starts to unscrew the hose. And, and I go, hold on a second, home, no, just in case, like there might be water in the hose so I go get a bowl. I said, let me hold this bowl under. I'm gonna hold the bowl for her while she's doing all the work, right? Let me hold this bowl under her while you're pulling it out. Pull it off in case there's any water in there. And she goes, okay, good idea. So she gets it, pops it off and the water wasn't shut off. It was like a fire hose going everywhere and just pops off, sprays right in my face, right away, right all over, man. I'm soaked in water. She's like this, it's all over everywhere. And it's going crazy. And I'm like, turn, Turn it off. And she's like, I can't. I can't hold this. She hands me the hose and it's like going everywhere. And she's like, you're flooding the laundry room. I'm like, I can't turn it off. You turn it off. And she scoots back behind the washing machine and and I open the washing machine and I put the hose in the washing machine and it's filling up with water. She's like, the place is flooding. I'm like, turn it off. And she finally gets it shut off. And I'm like, and I'm just laughing the whole time. And she's so angry. She's so angry. She's like, why are you so angry? She's like, why did you turn the water? I thought it was off. I don't know. I and we're just soaked head to toe. The ceiling is wet. The cabinets are wet. The walls are wet. And so we grab every towel in the house that we could find and we just put it on the floor and start soaking up. And I'm just laughing. And so we start, we laugh, and then we uh, FaceTime my wife, which maybe wasn't the best idea, you know. Look what happened. Like, it was as funny on that end in Denver. Uh, so we, we got it all done and had to call somebody and uh, got it put back. But can I tell you, there's things, that's a funny story, but I feel like I don't measure up on some things in my life. And that might be a failing illustration. But can I tell you one of the places that I think that we've created intentionally, unintentionally, by, by, even by this phrase right here is we've, we've created this thing that a lot of us don't measure up, feel like we measure up spiritually. And because it seems like David, David's our standard. He's a, I'm going to be a man after God's own heart. I could never do that. I'll never measure up to that. I, I feel so inadequate. And either then we just have an I don't care attitude to cover it up, you know, it helps us feel better about ourselves, or, or we just wander away from that. And I think that, again, that the church, at the place where the ground should be level for everybody. And, and, and we should be accepting and loving of everybody and all that kind of stuff, I, I think we uh, can easily create those moments that, that some of us don't feel like we measure up. And Have you ever felt that way? You know, when it comes to measuring up things spiritually, I was thinking about this the other day. How many of you guys, don't raise your hand, but if you got the U Version Bible app, i got the U Version Bible app. Everybody needs to have it, and they have this thing on there, like you become friends with somebody, and then every time you read like, your little devotional, it lets them know that you're, can I tell you, I hate that? right? So I'm like, I don't want everybody to send me all these, like, I read 20 chapters today. Well, wow, you don't have a life? Do you not work? Do you have kids? I block people like that. I'm not just, don't ask me me to be your friend and share your thing on the YouVersion Bible app. It's like this thing is like you walk by people and they got their phone out, they're always reading or everything they say is this phrase uh, about, you know, the spiritual walk. And And I just think we can easily just turn people off of that and I think what the writer is telling the people in Hebrews, the first century believers, is yeah, David defeated Goliath, but you know, David was just a regular guy. I mean, yeah, we know him in his famous title as a man after God's own heart, but do we really understand what that means? And I think it has something more to do with faith, perhaps maybe even more than him battling Goliath. And I, wanna, I wonder if we were to take a look at David's life, if we could see it from a different lens. And we, we go through life and Trying to measure up to some standard as if there is some elite Christian level that we can obtain and like we would be in a greater favor of God if we could just do more or do better with our life. But David was a life when we study his life, David has a life that he's just made so many mistakes and yet it seems like what he has ended up being in his whole body of work is somebody that was close to God and, and it's encouraging for me. I hope it is encouraging to you because if not we try to do better because we believe if we will fit we'll fit better, if we'll do better. And so when we look at Dave and we read a man after God's own heart, it can become something without even meaning to that speaks to a certain status of a believer. And so I was thinking this the other day. like, Just people say, wow, just look at them. I want to be like them. They just, they love God and do everything like God. And I want to be a man after God's own heart. I want to be a woman after God's own heart. And I think sometimes that that is something that the enemy will use. It's funny to say it, but the enemy will use to keep us from operating our faith at being who God's created us to be. And so when we look at David's ultimate title, we have to look and see where the title first appears. So turn to 1 Samuel 13 for me and understand where this phrase first appears in the scripture. Samuel, the prophet, has not even met David yet. He, he doesn't even know that there's a David. Here's what he knows, but now your kingdom shall not continue, the prophet Samuel, now your kingdom shall not continue, he's speaking Saul, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you've not kept what the Lord commanded you. He's speaking to the current king, and he's just saying the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. He doesn't even know it's David yet because then he'll, Lord will lead him to Jesse, David's dad, and he'll go through a process to get to David. So the prophet is just speaking right here this phrase, a man after God's own heart. Now we know, and later it's to be found that he's speaking about David. And so it's almost like as if we conclude, however, in that phraser, that God's looking, looking, looking over the world, looking, looking over there, over there, no, not that. no, 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 certainly not, not that one, looking, oh, now I found him, oh, that guy, yeah, that guy, that guy loves me more than everybody else, and that guy, he's willing to do things for me, other people aren't willing to do, it's almost as if we get this idea that God's looking and searching and looking, oh, who really loves me the most, well, this young man, he's better than all the rest, Samuel, I choose him, Samuel, go to the one who is better than all the rest. Go to the one who loves me more than anybody else. Go to the one who'll do everything I ask them all the time. It's not really what he's meaning. And so we live by trying to be the best and the brightest. So God will bless us. And God, as someone said, God, God, I will bless you above everybody else. I won't bless anybody else. I'll bless you and only you because you love me more than they love me. That's basically what we walk away with in that. But that's not really what the Hebrew language means here. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And this phrase in this moment can be translated two ways. It has two meanings. In the original language, it means God sought for himself a man according to his own heart. God sought for a man according to his own heart. He chose somebody. God chose somebody. What this means here in the Old Testament is Samuel, Samuel, it's the first, it's first what's about in God's heart than what's about in David's heart. It's more about what's in God's heart then, what's about in David's heart? Now, understand in the Old Testament, it's different than the New Testament. We'll draw the contrast in a minute. So, God's looking and he's, He knows who David is. David is in His heart. And so, He doesn't seek, He doesn't send Samuel seeking and searching for someone. He goes to find the one that's in God's heart. He's already in God's heart. This is what the original language says David, already in God's heart. David was in God's heart before David was ever born on the planet. David was always in God's heart, and so he sent Samuel to find him. Now that's important to you and I because David doesn't have a very good resume if we're just looking at performance here. And we'll get there in a minute. So understand something, that God always had David in his heart. And so he sent Samuel to find the one who was already in his heart. Now, that changes everything. This is going to tell us something about God's heart, and it's going to make you feel good in a minute. You'll feel good when we do look at David's resume. Two meanings for the original language. God has a place for David in his heart, and David has a place for God in his heart. When it says God sought a man, again, he knew where David was. He sent Samuel to him. So before David was ever created, God had a place David, let me, if I can explain it a little bit more this way. Uh, my oldest is 21. She turned 21 in May. And um, I remember when we got pregnant, when Jessica got pregnant with her. And it was from that moment, it was like, and you'll, know, if you're a parent, you'll understand this from that moment, it's like that just all of a sudden there was a love in my heart for this kid I didn't know anything about. I, mean, I couldn't even really explain it, right? I mean, I'd never seen her, I didn't know her. All of a sudden, I knew there's a child there, and all of a sudden, there's this love in my heart. When I mean, it's a different kind of love, because understand, when when I when I love Jessamy, I chose to love Jessamy. We met, I chose to love her. She chose to love me. But now all of a sudden, we have a child on the way, and I didn't choose this. God just put this love in my heart for Callie, and and when Callie was born, there wasn't anything greater. I loved Callie with everything in me. Callie was my favorite, and I didn't know I could love this way, and but I knew I could love her forever, no matter what she did. God i already put a love in my heart for, for her. And there was this love that was not anything I chose, but it was created by God. It was there. She was in my heart. And then all of a sudden, we're deciding to have a second kid. And so we're thinking about that. And I'm like, well, I'm good with the first kid. I mean, I, I don't know that I can love another kid, right? How can I divide my heart and love another child? I, I love Callie. Callie's my favorite. She was the first. I, I don't think I could love anything more. And then all of a sudden, the second one comes, and there's this love unexplainable, undeniable, that I love the second as much as I love the first. And if you have more kids, you love the third as much as you love the first and second. You love the fourth as much as because there's this love in your heart that's been put there by God. And so it doesn't matter how many kids there were. I love them all. I had a place in my heart for Callie and Camry. Callie had all my heart. Camry had all my heart. Callie was my favorite. Camry is my favorite. David had a place in God's heart. Fast forward to the resurrection and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And all of a sudden now, God has a heart for humanity. And he loves everything. Every single one of you, you have a place in God's heart, no matter who you are or what you've done. And you've always had a place in his heart and you always will have a place in his heart always. And now that illustration pales in comparison to our God's love for each and every one of us. And even if you want nothing to do with God and don't know anything about God, it does not change the fact that he has a place in his heart for you. And here's what I believe David understood. David was fully persuaded that God had a place in his heart for me. I mean, it has to be that way because when you look at David's life and you look at he makes so so many mistakes, so much stuff happens, we'll get there in a second, but yet what keeps David coming back, what keeps David coming back, what keeps David coming back is he was fully persuaded. And that's our definition of faith. In fact, in the original language, in the Greek language, in the New Testament, as it's written, faith, that word faith is used overwhelmingly the Greek word that means Persuaded. Persuaded by whom? Well, divine persuasion, because you can't persuade yourself to be saved. God persuades that. If not, if not, you could have a part in the saving process, and you can't. And so it's divine persuasion. So somehow David, because God had a place, David was fully persuaded, God had a place for him in his heart, so he had a place for God in his heart. So no matter what he did, he always came back to God. And so just maybe, just maybe, the writer in Hebrews is looking at a group of people that are struggling and suffering because of what's happening in their life. And some of them may not want anything to do with God anymore because look what happened when I said yes to Jesus. All hell broke loose. I want to go back to the other place. Maybe he was encouraging them, not that David defeated Goliath, but maybe he was encouraging them that don't go back because God has a place in his heart for you no matter what's happening in your life. So therefore, don't give up and don't quit because if God has a place for you, there's already always hope. So David, man after God's own heart, he's a man according to God's heart. He's a, God has a place for him. God had a place in his heart. God has a place for your heart. In fact, take a look at 1 Timothy 2.4. four says this. This is talk, talking about God who desires all people. He desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Why? Because you're in his heart. Why does he want all people to be saved? Because all people are in his heart. Well, weren't all people in his heart in the Old Testament? Oh, no, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, if you remember the story of Noah, which we didn't look at in here, he destroyed most of the population of the earth at one point in time. I mean, if you look at all the kings and, and, and countries that were defeated and instructed his people to kill everybody, if you look at even his own people, came back, when Moses came down their mountain, the mountain, the, the ground opened up and swallowed up 3,000 of them. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I would. But when you look in the New Testament, because David is a type and shadow, Jesus is the New Testament. You see, now God has a place in his heart for everyone, all of humanity. He wants everyone to come to the knowledge of him. You can't do enough stuff not to be in his heart. Callie and Cameron can't do enough stuff not to be in my heart. I may not agree with it and there may be consequences to the choices, but they'll always be in my heart. You'll always be in God's heart. In fact, there's a place that only you can fill. God has a place for only you, it's reserved for just you. And if you don't fill it, he's not going to put somebody else there. Because you're in his heart. It's your place. You know, the Bible says, I didn't put this in your notes, you can write it down. Psalms 139, 17 says, God's thoughts towards you are more numerous than the sand on the shore. I awake, it says, and I am with you. If you want to understand the magnitude of that statement, go grab you a handful of sand and start trying to separate the grains. (laughs) God's thoughts are of you all the time more than you can imagine or count. Why? Because you have a place in his heart. It doesn't matter. Nothing's going to change that. Matthew 7, 11, and put in your notes, you can write this down, says, if an earthly father who is evil knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more your heavenly father wants to give good things to those who ask, how much more does he love you? You have a place in his heart. How much more? You have a place in God's heart. You have a special place there. Let that frame your day. Let that pop up in your head when you make the dumbest mistake you've ever made. Let that pop up in your head when you feel like you don't measure up and you just maybe want to quit or cover it up. Let that pop up in your head. Let that frame your day, your week. Luke 13, 34 says this. Here's a, a real peek at Jesus' heart. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. The writer writes it two times as if it's to express the, the, the emotion Jesus is, is saying this with. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often, listen to this? How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and yet you're not willing? Look, it almost sounds like a parent. I want to love you, but you won't let me love you. I want to hold you, but you won't let me hold you. I want to protect you, but you won't let me protect you. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem! Expressing the emotion of Jesus and his analogies. I just want to wrap my arms around you because you have a place in my heart because I love you no matter who you are. You kill prophets, you reject this message, but I love you. I just want to hold you and keep you safe you have a place in his heart I believe David was fully persuaded that he had a place in God's heart no matter what he did and therefore David had a place in God's heart David would go to him when he made mistakes and so when we talk about David we're not talking about an elite person we need some Davids in the house well (laughs) yeah well let's just take a look for a second. David was a super emotional guy. I can relate. Really high highs, really low lows. When you read his psalms, you see that. David has a problem with the ladies. Even when he's married, he hooks up with a woman that's not his wife. He gets her pregnant. Then he tries to get her husband killed. He does. In fact, gets her husband killed. Sends him off to war. Kills her husband. David cheats. Obviously, David lies. David manipulates. If you study the scripture, David was not a great dad. One of his sons raised an army to try and overthrow him. His grandkids did a little bit better, but not his kids. David was a good king at times. He was an arrogant king at times. He was a selfless king at times. He was a selfish king at times. David fought many battles, but David also chose to stay home many times when battles were being fought. And here we are 2020 talking about, I want to be like David. I want to be a man and woman after God's heart. And I'm not belittling that. I mean, that's important. I don't don't disagree with that statement. But you have to understand the context and what that phrase comes from. When you look at David's whole body of work and look at how he came out of those things, okay, but you know where that starts? And we would say, yeah, it starts with reading the Bible more. I want to I have more friends on my Bible app and I'm going to send Pastor Don on I'm reading 20 scriptures or chapters a week. Don't do it, I'll block you. And it starts with realizing... <laughs> It starts with realizing that there's that it's not about that. It's I'm going to pray more. I'm going to I need to pray more. I need to serve more. I need to give more. I need to I need to stop drinking so much. I need to stop smoking so much. I need to stop cussing. I need to stop cutting people off in traffic and telling them one way to Jesus. I got to I got to stop all that. But you know where it starts really because it doesn't start there. I mean we don't try and be better to fit in. We've already fit in with God. It starts with realizing that there is a God who holds a special place in His heart. If you will, he went on the backside of the wilderness to find you among all the smelly, dirty sheep you're around, where the rest of your brothers were thought to be the good ones, the chosen ones, the special ones, the gifted ones. And David's out there. Nobody thinks David's going to be anything. So it starts with being fully persuaded that God has a place for you in his heart, no matter what. No matter what happens. So now... Today, under the new covenant, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we're all Davids. Jesus became once and all the sacrifice for all the sin, all the mistakes of humanity. And now we're all God's children. We are all chosen. We are all loved by God. We are all forgiven. Why? Because he's got a place in his heart for you. That's why he cries over Jerusalem. That's why he cries over tree of life. That's why he cries over the Duncans. That's why he cries over us. Is we, we have a place in his heart. Luke 18, 16, there's a story when Jesus is just hanging out and people are coming to him, meeting him, and parents decide, hey, look, there's Jesus. Let's bring our kids to him. Let's let and pray for our kids. And all of a sudden, the disciples are kind of bent out of shape. Whoa, whoa, whoa. this gathering is for adults, not for kids. This isn't, this isn't daycare. You go somewhere else with the kids, give Jesus a space. And Jesus rebukes them. And here's what it says in Luke 18, 16. Jesus called them to him, saying to the disciples, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. I'm like, well, they're just in the way. They don't have any place here. And he says, for such to such belongs the kingdom of God. They have a place in my kingdom because they have a place in my heart. The disciples didn't get that because the disciples thought you had to earn a place in God's heart. And Jesus is saying, no, these kids have a place in my heart. They already have a place in my kingdom. And everywhere you see this idea, this concept that there's a place, he has a place already in his heart for you. The second part of A Man After God's Own Heart in the original language of Hebrew, if you break it down and understand it, David had a place for God in his own heart. David had a place for God in his heart. We're talking about faith. David was fully persuaded that he was in God's heart. Therefore, David was fully persuaded God had a place in his heart. Fully persuaded, divine persuasion. The writers of Hebrews is writing to the first century believers. And the reason we can endure hardship, he's saying, is because we have been fully persuaded. David was fully persuaded that God had a place in his heart no matter what. And that resulted in David having a place in his heart for God no matter what he did. Now, I mean, it sounds a little confusing. For a second, because David was fully persuaded that he, was, he had a place in God's heart because of that. Then he was fully persuaded God had a place in his heart. And we know that because every time we see David make a stupid mistake, fall into sin, he responds with repentance to God. Why would you do that? Unless you're fully persuaded that you have created a place in, for God in your heart. he you did that because God had created, he was convinced God had created a place in him for his heart. So every time that he would make a mistake, he would come to God. And let me say it this way, he owned his stuff. David having a place in his heart for God, no matter what he did, David is persuaded by God, but David is Responsive. He's willing to own his stuff. David seems so aware of God's choosing him that he seems to have a heart for God. In his life, he does a lot of dumb things, makes a lot of mistakes, bad decisions, hurts a lot of people, and there are consequences for sure. Look at what David writes in just one of the Psalms, Psalms 51. This is a song written by David about owning his stuff after he cheated on his wife. And listen to the word. He says this, God, I know I know I have a place in your heart, and yet I have sinned against you. I blew it. I made a mistake. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me, and my sin is against you and you only, God. have a place in your heart, and yet I've fallen and made a mistake, and, and I own this, God, and because you have a place in my heart, God. I, I want to own this. I, I want to restore that relationship. I, I want to come to you with it. I don't want to bury it or walk away or hide it. you mean enough to me to come to you with it. I, I don't know why I did this, but I, but I want to make it right with you. A man after God's own heart is not one who reads the Bible more, prays more. A man after God's own heart is not the one that sings the loudest, raises their hands the highest, gives the most money, serves the most. It's the one who is fully persuaded that they have a place in God's heart no matter what they've done. And they respond out of that place by having a place for God in their heart that they own their mistakes before God. And that's a big deal. See, because we want to come, I don't know what it is about us. We want to come and act like everything's all cool. Everything's good. We don't want to sit down and go up to someone and say, hey, how you doing today, man? You know What? I sinned 18 times this week. Can you believe it? It was horrible. It was the worst week of my life, but I wrote a good song. David wrote a good song. And for whatever reason, we come to church with our Sunday face on, with our masks, if you will. And we don't want to let anybody in, and we don't want to let anybody know. And so we bury it and we carry it. Maybe we've just forgotten that no matter what we've did, we have, a, we have a place in God's heart no matter what because he just loves us. And maybe if we'll be fully persuaded in that, maybe we'll be fully persuaded that, you know what, God has a place in our heart and I want to repent and I want to I make that right between God and I. And you know one of the great places to do that is right here. You know one of the great places to do that is groups because I don't believe you share everything you have with everybody. I don't believe that. But you got to share it with Somebody. You need to come to this place like David did and say, you know what, I had a hard week. Man, I messed up. I blew it. Or somebody else will stand around you and say, you know what, me too. It's going to be okay. You know what, somebody else will say, you know what, I know what that's like. I've been there. Let me pray for you. Let me encourage you. See, David, we know David had, God had a place in his heart because he wanted to make it right. He wanted all that out. And just maybe the writer in Hebrews wasn't even talking about David and Goliath. Maybe he was speaking to a bunch of Christians that had been hurt, that had been broken, that are questioning if there really is a God, where is he, what's going on in my life. Maybe he was writing to people that were ashamed or embarrassed, and he was telling them that, you know, this hero of faith, he was fully persuaded that he had a place in God's heart, and therefore, he was fully persuaded that God had a place in his heart. And so David would do whatever it took to make it right. I believe that's what the writer of Hebrews is writing. Not to the first century Christians only, but to you and I. You know, the reality is, again, our, our culture's not that way. We created a culture where we hide everything. You know what? I thought about this. I wrote it down. David wouldn't even be able to volunteer on most churches today. We got a program for you. Hold on, big guy. Let's go over here first I've got to walk you through some 12 steps or something for a while. It's the truth. But we've got to make sure that we create a culture that we're creating environments that so people can come and just be open and honest before God and before each other so that we can continue to walk on. It's not an elite status that God's looking for. He's looking for just someone who will be fully persuaded that, that they're in his heart and therefore we're fully persuaded that they've made a place for God in their heart. To be a man after God's own heart simply means you are fully persuaded that God has a place for you in his heart and that you've created a place for God in your heart. I want you to know this morning, what I want want you to take away from Hebrews 11 today and this morning's message, that God has a place in his heart for you. I don't know what your life's like. I don't know. And it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter because it doesn't change. I don't need to know because what I do know is God has his place in it. His heart for you, no matter what. But you don't know me. I don't need to know you. But you don't know, I don't need to know that. God does. He knows all that. And it doesn't change a thing. He has a place for you that only you can fulfill. And it's reserved for only you and nobody else can fill it. You just need to be fully persuaded of that. So then you can be fully persuaded. Then he has a place in your heart. And allow him to come in in that capacity. Then where you will just be open and honest with him. And lay everything at his feet. Because He is a good and faithful God. He's got a great plan for your life. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas. Or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.